So what I want to talk about today has come from a previous exhortation that I put together. Um, that exhortation was about char people in the Bible who I mentioned quite briefly um, and the significance that they have, though we often tend to fixate on those who we hear their entire lifetime or the, the great miracles that they were a part of or achieved. Some of the examples that I, I spoke of in that exhortation were Tertius, who helped Paul write his letters, or um, Naaman's wife's slave girl, who gave them the information about where he could be healed or who could heal him. But one that really stuck with me after I'd given this exhortation a couple of times was um, this man in a chapter I'm about to read, who had his own kind of struggle that I feel we all appreciate in our own way, day to day. So I'm just going to read this portion from Mark chapter 9, reading from verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why can we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So in this, in this portion of the chapter that I just read, there are two beautiful statements, the second of which I will revisit later. But the first is his, the, the man's answer to, um, the man's answer to Jesus saying, his reply to, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And the boy, the man says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. To me, originally, when I put this in my first exhortation, I, I thought of it as just um, a wonderful interaction between two. But the more I read it, the more I related to this man and the struggle that he's going through. He does believe, but he struggles with his unbelief. And this, this, this isn't a unique situation. Jesus helped many people. Um, some examples I've got here are um, the woman who who just said, if I can touch his clothes, I will get well. And Jesus turned and said, don't worry, you are now well because of your faith. Or we hear that he, every town he visited, he also healed 
every kind of disease and sickness. Or the crippled man who was brought to him and Jesus just said, get up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man got right up. And various, various others that I could probably spend an entire hour going through. But what I feel is unique about this one is all those people came to Jesus with the idea that, with the knowledge that they knew they were going to walk away healed. Whereas this man still had that little little seed of doubt in his mind. He says, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. So then I want to talk a little bit about what, what is this belief before we delve into um, his unbelief. Belief and who has it? How did we get it? Um, we, we often talk about, in the readings yesterday, in fact, we, there was talk of the unbelievers. They are often referred to as those who do not follow the words of Christ or do not believe in God or in the words of, of the Bible. We very quickly speak of them as unbelievers, whereas there, I think there's more of a, a spectrum to belief and there's there's a little anecdote I want to talk about now about two men I met at university. So I had very little exposure to Christianity growing up. And one of my first was this interaction with these two two guys who came and sat next to me while I was just sitting alone in the cafeteria having lunch between lectures. And they came and sat down and said, "Can we have a, you know, can we talk to you about something?" And it turns out they wanted to talk to me about the Bible. And so I was listening intently, and I asked them both why had they become Christian, or you know what was their background. And one of them talked about how he grew up in a Christian household, and he you know went to Sunday school. And when when he was old enough, he decided to make the decision for himself, and he chose to be baptized. And I found great admiration in this man. And then the other man, he spoke about how he grew up in a very broken household. His father abused his mother. Um, his father then ran out on them, and his mother, not long after, passed away. Um, so he was then left to raise his siblings, and he grew up, and he was struggling, and eventually he found himself wandering into a church where he was hearing the words of the Bible, and it, it resonated with him in a way that nothing had up until that point. And I think his story was amazing, but what amazed me more was this other guy who just told me his story about growing up in the Sunday school's reaction, the look on his face. He clearly never heard this story. And he was turning to him with this sort of even more amazed expression than I had on my face. And I think back to these two, and they both believe. But I wondered if in that brief moment, that other, the other guy looked at him and said, do, do I believe in the same way that he does? Um, and I found that a lot in my a journey to um, being baptized, that I would see some of the more uh, longer baptized brothers and sisters and think, will I ever have the same belief as them? But I think what this man has shown us is that belief is not a solid on or off switch. You don't reach a point where you, you believe and that's it. You believe to the maximum. And same with these two, two, two guys. Belief is something that builds it builds over time, and it, it, it is not always a solid structure. In, in between your little layers of belief are little, little moments of unbelief. This man who brought his son to Jesus, he believed enough to know that Jesus would heal his son, but not enough to know that he was going to walk away necessarily with the healed son. 
So there's this conflict in him. So I want to talk about unbelief, having just spoken about belief. Um, unbelief, in, in a simple way, can be redefined or has a synonym of the word doubt. Um, and doubt, I think, has two, two, or it's a whole spectrum in itself, but there are two big sides of it. There's the macro doubt and, and the micro doubt. And macro doubt is what I think we often associate with those unbelievers that were spoken about in the readings yesterday, about people who, who doubt so much that what, what they believe in all the, the smaller detail is completely clouded over by this big doubt that they've already put upon themselves. They've already decided they're not sure if, if there is a creator. They're not sure if there is anything spiritual in the world. And so that already influences all their smaller, um, smaller decisions, their smaller doubts. They don't even need to think about them as smaller doubts because their bigger doubts have completely overshadowed it. But I think something that we can relate to more, those of us who have chosen to be baptized and those of us who are studying, are the micro-doubts. The little day-to-day moments where we do believe, but not enough to necessarily give everything wholeheartedly. We, we read just there about Paul and his affirmation of preaching and why he does it. And I know I've spoken to brothers and sisters who, who struggle when they hear fellow brothers and sisters now or read in the Bible of, of um, brothers and sisters that have come before about how unblemished their doubt appears to be, how sure their conviction is that they could never, they, that their own faith gets put into doubt because they, like these two men that I met, have such different backgrounds, such different stories, and such different ways of showing their faith that it puts small seeds of doubt. Though you believe, though you believe in the big, the the small makes you struggle. And I, I see that in this man, this man who brought his son. He had his faith. He knew that he would be watched over, but he doubted how. He doubted what those steps were going to be. And he's not the first. I want to talk about some other examples, um, starting with Eve. Um, I'm going to read a small passage from Genesis chapter 3, reading from verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, we we often talk about Eve and um, the the introduction of, of sin to the human race. But what we don't see is that Eve had faith. Eve had belief. And why shouldn't she? She was the, the second person put on earth and she was interacting directly with God in a way that many of us are probably quite envious of. 
And she said, when the serpent tried to first tempt her, she says that God said, you must not eat from the fruit, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. But as the serpent kept speaking to her, she had that little, little seed of unbelief. And that, that was enough to make her act in a way that was possibly against what she did believe. And, well, led to what we continue to read there. And I mentioned the, how we talk about Eve introducing sin through this action. And I want to talk about the difference between sin and unbelief. And um, I found a definition, as I often do in my exhortations, for sin as an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. And over the years, through the Bible, um, we have the old laws, we have Jesus's um, laws, and we, it has been clear what is what has been sinful has been made clear through those laws, through God, through His emissaries, through through Moses, and through Jesus. We have been told what is sinful, but unbelief is not is not the act itself, perhaps, but a first step, the the little seed of doubt that is enough to give you a nudge to start questioning those sins. That if your faith isn't completely, you know, if there's enough of a little seed of unbelief within your belief, you might consider that those sins are not as sinful and you may start to think about them and then eventually start considering them. And then before you know it, while, while you let that unbelief sit there unquestioned, act upon them. I mean, I know for my sake, even having been baptized, I have unbelief. And I have spoken to brothers and sisters who feel it themselves and sometimes struggle. And I don't want to speak for anyone in the room, but I imagine we've all had our moments of the same. Other examples in the Bible come from Abraham. So reading again from Genesis, but chapter 16, reading verses 1 through 5. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai took his wife. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband and to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abraham is often used as an example of a man who had great faith. He left his, what we believe, quite luxurious life in Ur when he was called upon, and he followed, followed God who told him to, to go out into the, into the world. And Abraham's another one, like Eve, who God interacted directly with and gave him quite a big promise of the seed that he was to have, the the people he was to father. And yet, with this confirmation directly from God, he had that little seed of unbelief himself, enough for for Sarai with her own unbelief to, to tempt him to not wait for God's plan, but to try and take things into their own hand. And Sarai had her own struggle because she, she 
put this forward to Abraham believing it was the only way, but then very quickly said, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. So immediately she regretted what that unbelief of hers had led her to do, and I'm sure Abram felt the same. Um, and we know we know Abram had strong faith, and maybe his faith was strengthened through this moment of doubt, because we see um, his ultimate act of faith when he is willing to sacrifice his son before God stops him. But yet, that moment of unbelief, you know, was there. So we mentioned, I've mentioned these unbelievers that we spoke about in yesterday's reading, and the Bible refers to unbelievers quite frequently. But, so it becomes quite easy to think of it as, as a binary. There are unbelievers, and there are believers. But I think there is unbelief, as we have seen, there is unbelief in all. And so it, it's too simple to just separate it into the one or the other. We all have our belief we all have our unbelief. And it is finding where that balance lies between the two, dealing with our unbelief, finding a way to, to satiate it, to appease our unbelief, that I think is our, our journey through to the kingdom. One other example is Moses. So reading his story from Numbers chapter 20, reading from verse 2. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of the meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave give them. Moses is, like Abraham, like Eve before him, had much faith and he interacted so directly with God that he was shown shown miracles or allowed to um, father miracles that allowed so many others to steer their belief towards God that they may have been failing to keep up in their time in slavery. And he led them away and he left what was, again, like Abraham before him, he left what was probably a very comfortable life to follow in God's plan, to do to help others and to lead them into salvation. And yet, yet after years of doing so, after years of that confident faith, and he had come so far, he first, though he had the faith, the people came to him and said, we're, we're, you know, we're struggling, we're in trouble. And he and Aaron fell face down. 
and we're <coughs> pleading with what what do we do next and god gave him um what to do and yet he struck the rock twice his unbelief a little little seed again of unbelief was there enough that he didn't despite everything that he had been through he couldn't wholeheartedly throw himself at everything he had a little moment of unbelief so we've spoken about unbelievers i want to speak a little about believers we've talked about how there's not the binary so then who who are believers or who can be believers those we spoke of today all of the examples i've i've given we we i don't think many of us would doubt that we consider them believers and yet they had these moments uh depending on how you look at it significant or you know maybe not so significant of true unbelief true doubt and yet we still use them as prime examples of believers so then who are the believers we have today we talk about those who are baptized as making the commitment to their belief to their their journey to do what is right in god's sight they are believers but perhaps there are many of us in the sunday schools those visiting those who don't even know haven't even found us yet who are believers or who can one day be believers but we don't count them as such now because they are not there yet but perhaps we need to think about the little unbelief that we have in ourselves that we see in others and remember that those unbelievers should we call them such are perhaps just on the heavier side of unbelief but are waiting to to be given what they need to become what we might call believers and often in our community we refer to those who follow jesus that is the path we take as we are baptized but as my last example i want to talk about jesus and a moment in his life reading from matthew chapter 26 reading from verse 36 then jesus went with his disciples to a place called gethsemane and he said to them sit here while i go over there and pray he took peter and the two sons of zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled then he said to them my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me going a little farther he fell to his face with his face to the ground and prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as i will but as you will then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour he asked peter watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak he went away a second time and prayed my father if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless i drink it may your will be done when he came back he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing now we often talk about jesus as 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 our prime example as the one we want to be like as perhaps some sometimes we think of him as the unblemished believer and many at the time obviously thought the same the man who came to him wanted help with his unbelief because jesus you know is the, was the man who could do that and yet here we see 
after everything he had done, he, like um, Moses, had performed miracles. He, like Abraham, had been called for a great calling. And he, like Eve, had a direct relationship with God. And he spoke so confidently of the things to come. And he was, in fact, a true example to us all. And yet for him, there was also a moment. A moment, however brief, of unbelief. A moment that, if there was any other way, could it perhaps be considered? My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He knew right away that is not what he willed, not what his weak flesh, as he refers to it later, was calling for, but what God was willing that he should do. But that doesn't stop stop us having that that little insight into his his brief moment of unbelief. And if if he could have it, then our struggle becomes more understandable, more tangible. But we have his example of so quickly turning to God and saying, yet not as I will, as you will. So that takes me to the second statement within the first passage I read that I referred to at the beginning. The first we referred to as help me without my unbelief. But something that was also in there, going back to that chapter in Mark, Mark, those verses in Mark 9, after he has called them an unbelieving generation and questioned how long he should stay and put up with them, he asks the father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answers. It has often thrown him into fire to try and kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus replies, if you can. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible for one who believes. So though we may have those moments of unbelief, though we may often have moments where we call them just full-on doubt, I think we need to remember that as Jesus says in that moment, and and as he realizes quickly in in the Garden of Gethsemane, everything is possible for one who believes. And we do all have that belief. In whatever measure compared to our unbelief, that belief is there. And I think we need to hold on to that everything is possible in one who believes. And those moments in Gethsemane, though they were a little moment of unbelief, happen after one of the things that we are here to remember today. The last, the remembrance meal that he had, where he is asking his disciples to have faith in him. And what is to come. And so now we turn to the emblems to remember him and that everything is possible in one who believes. <laughs>